Tonight we're going to be looking at Lord's Day 13 of the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, specifically question and answer 33. If you'd like to follow along with that, it's printed in the bulletin. It can be found in the gray hymnal on page 874. So question and answer 33. Uh, it's in the gray hymnal, page 874, also here in our bulletin. And then we're going to read from John two passages, John 3, 16 and 1 John 3, verse 1. John 3, 16 and 1 John 3, verse 1. And I'll read from God's Word first. John three sixteen. you probably know it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And the key words there are only Son. And now we turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, we read, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We'll stop there. And then we'll look at question and answer 33. This is what the question asks. We'll read the answer together. Why is He called God's only Son when we also are God's children? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. We, however, are adopted children of God, adopted by grace through Christ. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we uh, do thank you again for your word as it comes to us from the Gospel of John and also from uh, the epistle of 1 John. Uh, Lord, we thank you also for your word as it's interpreted uh, for us uh, by the Heidelberg Catechism and, and hopefully made easier for us to understand. And Father, we just ask that as we study your word and these truths of your word uh, regarding um, Christ as your only Son, and we as your children, and how these two things work together, um, that you would just um, lead us into a greater understanding of who you are, and of what you've done for us, and of who we are through Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. So, uh, question and answer 33 of the Catechism asks, I think, a good question that many of us may have never thought of asking. Maybe you have thought of asking it. Uh, the question is, right, why is Jesus called God's only Son when we are also called God's children? Why is Jesus called God's only Son when we are also called God's children? It's a good question. Of course, that question comes right out of Scripture. Scripture speaks both ways. In John chapter 3, verse 16, we see Jesus referred to as God's only Son, and in 1 John 3, 1, we hear believers uh, referred to as the children of God, right? So, how is it that Jesus is called God's only Son, and we also are called God's children? Well, the answer given to us by the catechism is the answer given to us in Scripture, and it's that there are two types of children. There are natural children, and there are adopted children. And it's in this distinction 
that we see how Jesus can be called God's only Son, and we also can be called God's children. Let's just look at the Catechism's answer. We'll use that for our outline tonight. The Catechism begins by saying, because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. Okay, that cannot be said about any of us. None of us are the eternal, natural children of God. None of us is a child of God the way that Jesus is a child of God. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is the eternal, natural Son of God? Well, that word eternal teaches us that there never was a time when Jesus wasn't the Son of God. Now, that's something that's hard to wrap our minds around uh, because there was a time, right, when our children were not our children. Our children don't become our children until they are conceived. Uh, Before that, they are not our children. And so the very concept in our minds of having children is bound up with a beginning in time, right? This is not so with Jesus. Jesus is what we call the eternally begotten Son of the Father. That means there never was a time when Jesus didn't exist. There never was a time when Jesus wasn't God the Father's Son. Again, I'm not saying I have it all figured out and I can wrap my mind around it, but that's what Scripture teaches. Where do we see Scripture teaching this? Well, John 1, 1 and 2 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And of course, we know the Word there refers to Jesus. Right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. I think Malachi 3 verse 6 uh, is a, a wonderful scriptural proof of this truth. Malachi 3 verse 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. That verse testifies to what we call the immutability of God, the unchangeable nature of God. But just just think about that for a moment. If the Lord does not change, then God the Father was always God the Father. He didn't become God the Father after God the Son was created because that would involve a change. No, He's always been God the Father, and therefore Christ has always been God the the Son. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. There was never a time when Jesus wasn't God's Son. Jesus is also, the Catechism says, the natural Son of God. What does that mean? Well, this should help you understand. I have natural children and I have an adopted child. My natural children, they look like me. We have many of the same features and characteristics. If someone were to come look at one of my children, and especially, you know, one of my sons, they often say, oh, I can tell he's, you know, he's yours. I can tell he belongs to you. Um, My adopted child, and I guess, you know, well, I just know know, he's not very old yet, so his features aren't all defined, but we can expect he's probably not going to look as much like me as the other children. And I certainly can say right now that his eyes and his skin and his hair are quite a bit darker than mine. Uh, His features are different, and that makes sense. 
Well, when you talk about Jesus being the natural Son of God, we mean just that. He, 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 he looks very much like God. <laughs> the disciples saw this clearly on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, he acts very much like God. That was made plain in the perfectly righteous life he lived. He, he, he talks a lot like God. That was clear when he you know, forgave sins. The man was lowered through the roof and um, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and the Pharisees were beside themselves. They said, only God can forgive sins, uh, right? He shares many of the features and characteristics of God, and of course, Scripture takes us even farther. Scripture says, he, he is God, right? He, he, he bears the same characteristics, the same properties, the same whatever word you want to use as God. He's the natural Son of God. Again, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus alone is the eternal, natural Son of God, and it's in this way that the Bible refers to Him as God's one and only Son. But we, we are also God's children, the Bible says. But we're not God's children in the same way that Jesus is God's child. No, we are God's children by adoption. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Ephesians 1, 5, In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So, Jesus is God's child by nature. We are God's children by adoption. Of course, you know what that means, right? It means, it means we, are, we are not God's children by nature. There are some people who, who try and sound so pious and holy as they remind everyone that we're all God's children. You've probably heard people say that, right? Oh, we're, you know, we're all God's children. And often that's used, seems to excuse sin. Uh, you know, this person's behaving in some way. Well, well we're all God's ch- children. Just, you know, that's kind of how it's used. Um, that's not even true. We're not, by nature, God's children. By nature, the Bible says, we are children of wrath. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And then he says this, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. By nature, we're children of wrath. By nature, we belong to our father, the devil. You remember Jesus said that to some of the Pharisees, right? You belong to your father, the devil. So we can only claim to be children of God insofar as we've been adopted by God. It's only those who have been adopted by God who are children of God. Now, the catechism goes on to speak about both why and how God adopts us as his children. And the why of adoption is grace. We are adopted by grace, the catechism says. 
And if we return again to Ephesians 2, we'll see this. After Paul reminds us of our being dead in our sins and of our being children of wrath by nature, he says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And he says those wonderful words, by grace you have been saved. The why of adoption is grace. God's grace is the basis for our adoption as his children. God's grace is the basis for our having come into his family through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what is grace exactly? Probably all could give a pretty decent definition. Uh, I want to define it for you by example. I think the best definition of grace is found in the story of Jacob. Jacob is my favorite character in the Bible because I see so much of myself in Jacob. And Jacob, Jacob was not, Jacob was not a good person. If there was like anybody who didn't deserve to be a bearer of the covenant promise, it was Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver. Uh, Jacob, you'll remember, he lied to his father. He stole from his brother regarding that matter of the birthright, right? If anyone deserved a timeout, if anyone deserved a spanking in their life, if anyone deserved a whooping from dad for being a rascal, it was Jacob. His brother, of course, finds out what he did, and Esau starts breathing out murderous threats against him. And Jacob's mom says, Jacob, you got to get out of here. Why don't you go and stay with your uncle Laban? So Jacob takes off. He's heading to uncle Laban's It's a long journey, can't make it there in one day, darkness sets in, and Jacob comes to a certain place and he decides that he's going to stay there for the night. The name of that place is called Luz, which means lost in Hebrew, and that's basically where Jacob is at this point in his life. He is lost physically and most of all spiritually. He falls asleep under the stars and he has a dream. And in that dream, he sees a ladder set upon the earth with the top of it reaching to heaven. And he sees angels of God ascending and descending on it. And not only that, he sees the Lord standing above it. And the Lord speaks to Jacob from above that ladder. And this is what the Lord said. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So Jacob has done nothing in his life up to this point but lie and cheat and swindle. And out of the blue, God comes and God pledges himself and God pledges blessings upon blessings and his covenant promises to Jacob. 
God shows Jacob nothing but extraordinary goodness and kindness. And, right, we have to ask, why? <laughs> why? Why would God show Jacob such kindness after all that Jacob has done? Grace. Grace. That's grace. Grace is God's sovereign decision to show sinners undeserved kindness, mercy, and love. And that's the basis for our adoption as His children. It's not because of who we are. It's not because of what we've done. It's all because of grace. Grace which was bestowed upon us already in eternity past. Grace which has made known in and through Christ and His death on the cross. Grace which was applied to our hearts through the Holy Spirit working in conjunction with the gospel. It's all grace. Grace is the why of our adoption as God's children. The how of our adoption well, we've pretty much already answered that. The how is through Christ. Through Christ. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God adopts us in and through Christ. You see, for God to adopt us as his children, a price needed to be paid the price of our sins. We couldn't make this payment. It was far too much for us to afford. But on the cross, God's only begotten Son took upon Himself the wrath of God against our sin in order that our sins might be removed from us as far as the east is from the west and we might be reconciled to God and brought into His forever family. Now, here's the thing about adopted children. We're finding this out in our house right now. Adopted children have the same rights as natural-born children. There's not a whole lot different in our house. Our adopted child doesn't have different rules. We don't care for him any differently than we cared for our other children. We love him as we love them. What they had and have, he has and will have. There is no difference at all. My four children are my children. My fifth child is one of my children, right? There's, there's, no, there's no difference. It's not like there's classes of children or, or degrees of children in my house. The same is true for us as adopted children of God. There are privileges and blessings and rights that Jesus has as God's only begotten Son. But if you begin to think about what those privileges and blessings and rights are that Jesus had, you'll see that many of those privileges and rights and blessings have become ours now as God's adopted children in Christ. For instance, we are, like Jesus, able to talk to God and relate to God as a loving Heavenly Father. You remember how Jesus told us to begin our prayers. He says, begin your prayers like this, Our Father, 
in heaven. Calling God Father isn't just something that Jesus can do as a natural son. No, it's something that adopted children get to do as well. And it's a great privilege, isn't it? To know God, the sovereign creator and sustainer and maintainer and consummator of the universe as Father. Jesus received a gift from his Father, you remember. It's at his baptism. He's baptized in the Jordan and and suddenly heaven is torn open and the Spirit descends upon him as a dove. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. And, and when that happens, there's a voice that comes from heaven. And what does that voice say? The voice says, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The, the gift of the Holy Spirit is bound up with Christ being God's son. And yet, as, and yet as children of God, we too, don't we, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have the same right and privilege in Christ. Like Jesus, God disciplines us as children. Jesus went through trials and tests in order to prove the genuineness of his faith. He passed with flying colors. We praise God for that. That's the basis for our salvation. But we shouldn't be surprised then when we go through the same thing. It's part of being a child of God. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he Received. When we go through hard trials, sometimes we're tempted to think, Lord, why do you have it out for me? Why do you hate me? Scripture would say, Lord, why do you love me? <laughs> right? That, that, it's hard, but that's the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Like Jesus, we find ourselves, don't we, having, having a new family. We find ourselves having new brothers and sisters. In Mark chapter 3, we're told Jesus' mother and brothers came and standing outside of where Jesus was, they, they sent to him and they called him and a crowd was sitting around him and that crowd said to Jesus, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside, they're looking for you. And Jesus answered, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So that's the, that's the wonder of our adoption as God's children. We're not, we're not lesser children. No, no. In Christ, we are full-fledged members of God's family, and we receive the same rights and privileges of his one and only son, the very one called our older brother, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. There is, I think, one more thing we could say about adopted children. Um, and it's although they, they, they may not share uh, the physical features and characteristics of their parents, I'm guessing that they do over time, maybe Ed and Judy could confirm this, they do over time begin to resemble their parents in the way that they talk, in the way that they act, in some of their mannerisms. This too happens with God's adopted children. As we grow, we come to resemble our Heavenly Father. We come to resemble our older brother. 
in the way we talk, in the way we act, in the things we do. And of course, to some degree, this is, this is what confirms to the world our status as being God's children. We begin to look like our Heavenly Father. Think of what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Why will they be called sons of God? Well, because in being a peacemaker, they resemble God. In being a peacemaker, they, they resemble their Father in heaven. And being a peacemaker, they show the world which family they belong to. God's one and only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, resembled God perfectly. And by God's grace, His adopted children, you and me and all who believe in Christ, we resemble Him more and more as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is He called God's only Son? when we are also called God's children, because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God, while we are adopted children of God, adopted by grace through Christ. Let's pray. Our great and awesome God, we see what kind of love you have lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We do thank you for your one and only son, our elder brother, as the writer of Hebrews calls him, who came to rescue us, who came to live the life that we couldn't and die the death that we deserve and rise again from the dead in order that we might be forgiven for all our sins and adopted as your children forever and ever. Help us to love him more. Help us to resemble him and you more. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand for the parting blessing, and then we'll sing our closing song. Ed's going to, is he playing the closing song for us? Children of the Heavenly Father, then he's going to do a postlude. Is that the plan, Gary? All right, whatever you want, man. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, let's stand for the parting blessing, and then we'll sing that closing song. Dear friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and grant you his peace. Amen. Our closing song is going to be Children of the Heavenly Father. What number is that? I keep losing my bulletin here. 44. And we're going to sing all of it. Number 44. And that's going to lead us on the organ. <laughs>